Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 30 of Loving Life at Home. Today, we are discussing how becoming a mother affects our role and responsibility as a wife. Is it all right for a woman to neglect her husband for the sake of her children? Lots of women live that way. Their lives revolve around their children. The kids take precedence over everything and everyone else. These women become so preoccupied with meeting the needs of their offspring that they begin to marginalize the needs of their spouses. But is that really what's best for the children or for the husbands or for the moms themselves? Put another way, do the responsibilities of motherhood trump your obligations as a wife? A couple of years ago, I stumbled upon a genre of writing I never before knew existed, open letters written by tired moms to their neglected husbands. And it wasn't just one. Evidently, a lot of women ignore and marginalize their spouses for months or even years on end, then post public explanations rationalizing their behavior. The gist of one letter I read went something like this. Dear husband, I'm not the person you married. Now I'm a mom and you need to be content with taking the back seat from here on out. My heart goes out to that young mother. She is obviously spread thin. She argues that caring for her children, children that her husband bothered, is an all-consuming, never-ending job. And that's not wrong, but she also claims it demands every ounce of time, energy, and attention that she has to offer. Is it any wonder then that she feels justified in marginalizing her marriage, in expecting her husband to soldier on with little or no affection, affirmation, or appreciation from his wife? In her mind, the responsibilities that come with being a mother totally trump any other sense of duty she feels as a wife. And I get that. I thought much the same way when I was newly married. After conceiving a baby two weeks into our honeymoon and a second six months after the first was born, I had all sorts of emotions swirling about inside me. I felt utterly exhausted, sleep-deprived, and weary to the bones. I remember wondering, will I ever feel rested again? I felt frustrated and annoyed by my husband's expectations. Inwardly, I chafed. Why can't he be more empathetic? I felt morally superior in my level of motherly devotion. I arrogantly thought to myself, nobody loves their children more than I do, including my husband. And I was envious of my husband's boundless energy. I remember thinking and disgust, how can he suggest sex when I so clearly need sleep? And I was appalled by what I considered his contemptible selfishness. This internal dialogue continually played in my thoughts. I'm sacrificing everything for our kids. Why can't he make a few sacrifices too? And I felt totally justified in giving him the cold shoulder. He's a big boy, I remember reasoning, and his needs are far less important than the children's. Yet, as relatable as all those feelings may be, that doesn't make them right. And if I had persisted in those woefully short-sighted thoughts, my marriage would never have matured into the strong, stable, and joy-filled union that it is today more than three decades 
decades and 10 additional children later. Fortunately for me, blogging wasn't a thing back when we were first starting our family, and that great echo chamber that we call the internet was not yet available to amplify all my confused thoughts and convoluted justifications and repeat them back to me along with a heaping side of, you go girl. So I chose instead to pour out my mess of conflicted emotions before the Lord in prayer and praise be to God rather than having my wrong thinking reinforced by a worldwide web of sympathetic strangers, I had it rigorously challenged and radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, God's Word speaks directly to everything I was feeling at the time and counters every lie that I was believing with life-giving truth, and it can do the same for you. Scripture speaks to our exhaustion. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Then Scripture also speaks to our impatience. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1-3. Scripture also speaks to our pride. Philippians 2, 2 through 4, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Then Scripture speaks to our jealousy. If you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast in it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's James 3, 14 through 17. Also, Scripture speaks to our lack of introspection. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Luke 6, 41-42. And lastly, Scripture speaks to this specific area of disobedience. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5, the husband must fulfill his duty to the wife, and likewise the wife also to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband also does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In light of these life-giving verses and others like them, all my excuses and exceptions and earnest explanations fell flat. But thankfully, through the enabling strength of the Holy Spirit, I learned to lovingly care for my children without marginalizing my husband or making him feel like he has to compete with his own offspring for my attention or affection. My advice to that tired mother with the neglected husband, while I empathize with your feelings, I don't recommend letting those feelings dictate how you behave towards your spouse or toward anybody else for that matter. Feelings can be deceiving, and following them can lead to disastrous results. 
So what about moms who recognize it's important to nurture their marriage but need practical tips for doing that when so much of their time is consumed by caring for young children? That seems to be the situation for one listener who recently wrote me about this topic. She writes, Dear Jennifer, I have a request for a future podcast. I was wondering if you could do one about prioritizing your marriage when having kids. I am personally so guilty of choosing my kids' needs over my husband's, not like their health needs are anything like that, but more like sometimes I catch myself choosing to listen to my kids talking to me over my husband, which causes problems as to be expected. I usually feel like sometimes being mom is more important than anything, and I know that's not true, but it's a struggle to prioritize my husband sometimes. Also, I am finding it hard to make time just for us, especially when it comes to intimacy due to being exhausted at the end of the day. I would love to hear your opinion on this topic. So how do we turn it all around when we find ourselves in this situation? We know the right thing to do, but we're having trouble applying it. I have six practical tips I would give you in that situation. The first is to request God's help. Pray about all of it. Your relationships, your conflicted emotions, your lack of energy or interest, you can bring all those matters to God. He offers wisdom to all who ask, James 1.5. He promises to renew our strength and enable us to run without growing weary or feeling faint, Isaiah 40, 31. And he bids us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make our request known unto God, Philippians 4, 6. The second tip would be to recognize your responsibilities. Becoming a mother does not absolve you of your duties as a wife. You took a vow when you promised to love and honor your husband and live in harmony with him, so keep that commitment. Let it be said of you, what was said of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, who loved her husband and did him only good while still managing her household and raising her children. I love the way the Amplified Version translates verses 11 through 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her confidently and relies on and believes in her safely so that he has no lack of honest gain or need of dishonest spoil. She will comfort, encourage, and do him only good as long as there is life within her. And part of the good a wife does to her husband is attending to his physical needs because she understands what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 that I quoted earlier, that the husband needs to fulfill his duty to the wife and the wife to the husband, and that the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does, and the wife doesn't have authority over her body, but the husband does. So we should stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again that Satan will not tempt you because of of your lack of self-control. Then my third tip would be to review how you manage your time. I don't know how long it took that mommy blogger to pen, polish, and post that public letter that she wrote to her husband explaining away four and a half years of neglect, but I suspect an equivalent amount of time spent nurturing her marriage would have paid bigger dividends in the long run. So I'd recommend that you audit your schedule, keep track of how you're spending your time, and check for time sumps. Psalm 9012 reads, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That's a great prayer to pray as you evaluate exactly where your time is going. It could be that you need to let something slide during this season of mothering young children, but I promise 
promise you, your relationship with your husband is not one of them. You may have to relax your housekeeping standards a bit, or scale back on time spent on entertainment or hobbies, or develop new ways of multitasking, such as listening to audiobooks while driving or doing chores instead of having your nose glued inside a book when your spouse and kids need your attention. My own mother enjoyed sewing before she had children, but I remember once hearing her tell a friend that she found it frustrating to try to sew once the babies came along because she couldn't stand the constant interruptions. Knowing my mom as I know her now, I suspect it wasn't so much the interruptions that drove her crazy because she was always so patient and attentive to me and my sister, but it was the mess that an unfinished sewing project created that she couldn't stand. So she set aside her sewing and pursued smaller craft projects like decoupage that weren't as time-consuming and that my sister and I could do alongside her. The point is, as you track where your time is going, you can make more informed decisions about what needs to change to free up time for nurturing your marriage, even as you continue to nurture your children. Then my fourth tip would be to remember your first love. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus, he commends her for her labor and perseverance. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I know that you cannot tolerate those who are evil, and you have tested and exposed as liars those who falsely claim to be apostles. Without growing weary, you have persevered and endured many things for the sake of my name. That's all great praise, isn't it? Yet, in verses 4 through 5, Christ continues, But I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Therefore, keep in mind how far you have fallen. Repent and perform the deeds you did at first. But if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I know these verses weren't written to wives per se, but to the church, the bride of Christ. Yet, in Ephesians 5, when Paul admonishes wives to respect their husbands, husbands and husbands to love their wives, he makes it clear that part of the reason that we should be careful to do those things is that God designed our marriages to be a picture of the relationship Jesus has to the church. The Ephesian Christians made it apparent that one can still do good work while simultaneously being distracted regarding motives. I'm not sure what was driving the church of Ephesus to persevere in their good works, but it wasn't springing from their love for Jesus. And the same thing can happen in our homes today with regard to our husbands and children. Part of the reason I love and honor and persevere in my relationship to my husband is out of love and respect and obedience to Christ, because I want my marriage to accurately reflect what it was meant to mirror. Christ's love and devotion to us and our loving and obedient response to Him. So I'd encourage you to do everything you can to keep that spark alive between you and your spouse. Remember, you were His wife and lover before you were the mother to His children. Read the Song of Solomon for inspiration and acknowledge the fact that we find time to do the things that are truly most important to us. In Matthew 15, 8-9, in speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus quotes Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Let's do better than that in our marriage by not just telling our husbands I love you, but by showing them in the way we respond to them and prioritize our relationship in a world full of distractions. Then my fifth tip would be to repent of wrong attitudes. If, as was the case for me in those early years of marriage, you discover contemptuous attitudes and prideful thoughts or just a spirit of indifference, confess and repent and ask the Lord to help you do better going forward. Philippians 2 sets a high standard for us to follow. I quoted a little bit of it earlier. Let me quote the first eight verses here. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of 
love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. I doubt that God is calling any of us wives to actually die for the sake of our husband, but he might be calling us to be inconvenienced. He undoubtedly is calling us to be inconvenienced. Are you willing to do that? You likely put your own needs and desires on the back burner on account of your children. Can you do the same for your husband? Can you consider him to be more important than yourself? Can you put his needs ahead of your own? This isn't an idea that I came up with. This is the clear command of Scripture. So if you don't like it, don't shoot the messenger. Take up your case with God. The fact is, motherhood should enrich your marriage, not detract from it. Watching the way my husband relates to our children from the time they were babies through adolescent teen years and into adulthood has only served to increase my love for him all the more. I would encourage you to never use your children as an excuse to be inattentive or unresponsive, distracted or preoccupied, distant or indifferent towards your spouse. Instead, work as a team. I realize not every husband is the involved father that mine is, but they are more likely to be involved if you do not set up a false him versus them dichotomy. By making sure my husband's cup was brimming with my love and attention, he had far more love and attention to invest in our kids than he would have if I had created an adversarial relationship between them or marginalized his needs to attend to theirs. Then my last point, number six, reserve some time and energy to devote to your spouse daily. Carving out regular time for him, giving him your full attention and prioritizing intimacy will go a long way towards reassuring your husband, the children don't have a monopoly on your attention and affection. Again, Proverbs 31 provides a great example of a mother who does this well. If, like the listener who had asked me to address this topic, you feel too exhausted for intimacy by the end of the day, I recommend taking a nap or getting up early to spend time with your husband. Think outside the box. I could say a lot more about this topic, but I think I'm going to save that for another episode. I think I've probably given you enough food for thought for today. I hope you'll chew on it and make whatever changes are necessary to send a message to your spouse that you love him and are prepared to demonstrate that fact as often as necessary to get your point across. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.